Welcome back, boys and girls, to On The Bat Bar podcast, joined by me, Christopher Menning, and today's guest, we have Gerald Koo. Gerald is the bar manager of Jigger and Pony, and as most of you will know, Jigger and Pony won the best bar in Asia this year. So we talk about that huge success, what it takes to get there, and the cocktail program that he's put in place. Now, Gerald has been with that company for about eight years. That shows true determination, and it shows that when you stick to something long enough, there are results. Now, guys, I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please give me a subscribe, a like, comment, and actually head over to my Patreon page and please join the conversation, be part of the group, because we're offering different packages there in exchange for being part of the conversation, if that makes sense. So yeah, enjoy this episode, guys. I really enjoyed it. Gerald's a great guy, and uh, there was actually quite a lot of really nice information he gave for us. So yeah, talk soon. Ciao. Benjamin Franklin once said, in wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. Gerald, thank you so much for joining us on the back bar. And I want to start off by saying a huge congratulations for hitting the number one spot with Jigger and Pony. How are you feeling? Thank you. I'm feeling great, man. Today, Freeze, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, right now, it's about, I think we're almost close to two months into the lockdown and the circuit breaker in Singapore. Right, okay. Very much enjoying the downtime. <laughs> <laughs> we actually started early. We started in January. So now it's getting a bit yeah, boring yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see that Bangkok is opening up as well. It is, yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot more people out. Well, to be honest, I think Singapore's the same. There was definitely less cases uh, than in the Western states. Mm. So it, we've been very fortunate in that case. Uh, what, what's Singapore looking like? Is it a bit of a ghost town? It's all right. It's not as bad as a, as a, as a ghost town. It's... it's it's somewhere. It's it's halfway there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with a lot of these delivery drivers hanging out at the uh, where all the food stalls are and uh, where we basically with the essential services are, it's not as bad as uh. Well, probably I haven't been to you know places like downtown or CBD area, so maybe that one is a ghost town. Sure, sure. So obviously yeah. we're talking today, and we're going to hear about your career and everything you've got up to over the years. But um, let's really touch on what we've just found out about you hitting the number one spot with Jigger and Pony. Uh, I'm interested right. to find out where were you when you heard the news? Um, so at that point of time, we were doing our delivery service, but we, we're, not doing operate, we're not operating it out of where Jigger and Pony is located. Mm-hmm. We're operating it out at our sister outlet, which is called Hanback, where our other bars called Gibson and Live Twice are located as well. Sure. So that is our central headquarters where we, uh, where we, where we fix our cocktails and and the uh, the food menu from all five venues 
and send it out from that one space. Mm. Yeah, so we were we were doing the live stream as a group, but obviously we have to maintain our social distancing, um, <laughs> one meters apart. Can't really hug. Can't really you know mm. celebrate. But I guess that's why it took me about two weeks to kind of let that uh, sink in. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, because, because you know, in a, in in the heat of any celebration, you know, when you hug, there's a human contact. You really feel that uh, I don't know that excitement. But in this case, two weeks ago when we announced, when it was being announced virtually, it was quite quite different. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have time yeah. to celebrate? Have you gone out on a big bender with the team or? Uh, did we not really not really okay <laughs> yeah we were just very focused on doing a delivery service uh we can't we can't have a drink while i work as well because of the it's it's, it's against the circuit breaker rules and regulations yeah okay. um but we did have a small celebration when we come back home over zoom good <laughs> okay. it's like a virtual yeah virtual party <laughs> love <together>. it <laughs> Well, yeah. once again, congratulations, Best Bar in Asia. Oh, uh, I can't wait much. to delve into it and hear about Jigger and Pony. But let's start with you. Let's start with how you got into the industry and, and what led you to where you are today. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so um, my career started when I was 19 in 2009 in the bar. Okay. Um, that was when I was a young, struggling design student and a musician. So... Uh, I needed money to, to, to feed myself and to feed my passion, which was music. Um, but that was, not, that was not my first hospitality job. My first F&B job was actually Starbucks uh, when I was 17. Yeah, in between schools, you know, while waiting for the next um, tertiary education, I, I picked up a job in Starbucks. But that was, that was a quite of a turning point for me. Right? Because throughout my life, since I was 10, I held several holiday jobs, odd jobs, here and there, um, but nothing felt like home when I was at Starbucks. Probably because it was Starbucks before as well. So it was at Starbucks that I realized I could I could talk to people because I, I'm usually quite shy and not so outgoing. Um, but I think this training at Starbucks allowed me to discover a side of myself that hey, you can talk. You know, you, you, it's not that it's not that hard. And being Asian, you know, it, it feels like it feels like there's a load of uh, there's a load off my shoulder after the training. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good feeling, you know. The first the first contact of being able to talk to people um, led me to feel like hospitality could be a job for me. You know. All right. Okay. Back then, I just wanted to be a musician, or I wanted to be working in an office. You know, it's a very typical eight to five job. Then okay. So back to the main story where in 2009, when I was 19, I joined a bar. I was just a waiter. That was my first contact in working in the bar. Just because um, the part-time pay was much better or the, the best amongst the other part-time jobs that a student can get. Um, I think it's a, it's, very com- it's a very common story of how a lot of bartenders end up, ended up being a bartender, you know. Oh, I fell into and, it, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just fell into it during school and stuff. Uh-huh. And I think it's the same story of how there was a vacancy in the bar and somehow came to came to me. You know, yeah. But that, that took a few that that took a few months or I think even one year to to gain the trust of the team 
to say, let's let this young 19-year-old part-time waiter try tend the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my first foray into working in a bar. Um, also because I was very, I was very intrigued by the way bartenders move behind the bar. Uh, it always feel like a show, a performance. And being a musician myself, I feel like that is, that is something that could be done if I'm not in a band. You know, it's like watching a stage, you know, or watching a band performance. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's another factor that drew me to become a bartender. And true enough, when I got behind the bar in that, it was called, it's called Louf. It's still around today. It's one of the earliest rooftop bar. And it's right opposite the prominent Raffles Hotel in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I think it is a rooftop bar at a third story. So it's not that high, but it, it just provides, it still provides a nice, nice view. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, but back then, it was, that was before the whole cocktail, craft cocktail scene really took off in Singapore. So that was right before, not, not even infant, because at two, in 2009, there were a few bars opening, maybe called, uh, it was it was Bar Stories that was op- that, that, that opened in in that era or in that few years, in the period. And they're still around today. And a few other bars like Clay or Barcode, uh, these are, the, these are the, the, the pioneers of the pioneers. Yeah. So that was 2009 and through my national service for two years because it was mandatory in Singapore. Okay. It is. It is mandatory in Singapore. For two years, um, you said? Came, yeah. Oh. Oh. And then in 2012, a bar called Jigan Pony opened right after 28 Hong Kong Street. So my, my time that I joined was in 2013, six months after opening. Yeah, so Jigan Pony is a bar that opened in 2012. It's now eight years old. And we are a bar that, as our pioneers would call it, uh, one of the pioneers, sorry, as our peers would call it, one of the pioneers in Singapore's craft cocktail scene. And actually, we're just a craft cocktail bar that have a strong core in classics. A lot of attention to details while maintaining a level of fun and contribute hospitality. So that was how I started. Okay, <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> I'm going to ask quickly, it's a bit off topic, but do you still play music? Um, I do actually. This circuit breaker period has allowed me to revisit my guitar Good. and practice okay. on my keyboard. And yeah, I, I just see myself, I'm asking my mom, hey, mom, do we have, still have the guitar and fire in the storeroom? I just started the way. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, it would be good news because I could get a new one and a better one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm just digging out all this. That's good. Musical yeah. Out, yeah. I really like what you said as well about uh, seeing the bar as a show and it's sort of you know, playing music behind a bar, that sort of craftsmanship, yeah. showmanship. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's why I fell in love with Barton too. And right? you yeah. know, I know that you're 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 quite a fan of Japanese style of bartending the techniques and everything like that. Do you yeah. practice a lot of this in Jigger and Pony? Yes, we do. So basically, Jigger and Pony is the foundation is based on Japanese bartending. However, we do not want to really uh, make the feel make the guests feel intimidated by what we do. So there's a lot of these. We practice a lot on the the, the, the techniques, but at the same time, we want to make sure that the atmosphere is is very lighthearted. Um, so there's there's what I love about Jigger and Pony, or you know what what we do is that we are able to combine what I say the best of both worlds. 
So the details of Japanese bartending, the ritual and the process, however, maintaining um, a Western style of hospitality, which is more, um, more fun. There'll be quite, we're, we're always very loud and it feels like, like touching on the base of uh, what we call, what we were talking about as watching musicians, right? Um, working together with my team is like performing with a band on stage yeah, or behind the brilliant. bar. Yeah, the chemistry is so, it's so, it's so precious. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, so, there's, so there's, that's what we do. On one hand, we are Japanese, but we don't really, you know, emphasize so much on showing people that we are Japanese in, in the bartending style. Okay. Now, for the audience who are, say, in, in England, there's quite a lot of them actually, and in America, um, they probably haven't been to Jigger and Pony. So could you tell us a bit more about the barn and sort of the, the beverage menu, the cocktails you serve? Yeah, sure. So Jigger and Pony is named after the tool that we use a lot, Jigger and Pony. Right? So that being said, we have our emphasis on classic cocktails uh, with more forward mindset right so we make a uh, clever twist on classics and not to say that we are so we always try to think what is the next trend or what is the next what is the next decade ahead you know because end of the day if we just revolve around classic we will still be a twist on the classics but what is the next uh, what could be thing out of the box so we have this kind of mentality where every day we have to improve one percent right okay. um it's located in a hotel in a four-star hotel called amara hotel and it's on the lobby um and we are about 140 seater in terms of capacity right recently we moved in it's been almost two years now come september it'll be two years yeah, so for before we moved in here, we were located at Amoy Street, which is maybe five minutes walk away from where we are right now. Yeah, so it's been um, a good eight years now. I've been with the company for seven. And within our group, we have opened several other bars, one being Sugar Hall, which is a rum bar, and also our Gibson and Live Twice. So um, within these seven years, I've been opening some bars with the group as well. So it's kind of, it's, it's a great platform because it feels like I'm joining a new new bar, you know, as opposed to leaving the company and joining somewhere new. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm rotating within the company. That's yeah. good. You know, I found that sometimes, I think it was Philip Duff I talked to recently and he said a big problem with bartenders these days is they jump around too much, yeah. you know, and sometimes you just yeah, need to really stick with somewhere. So it's great to see that you've been with them for seven years, uh, the company. And we talked earlier, where you mentioned about seeing Singapore develop and, you know, from the beginning of when the cocktails just started coming. But Singapore really were the pioneers of Asia, I think. You know, I think Singapore started it all. What's it like now compared to when you first started? It's a whole different scene. I think what I see now in Singapore is what I would visualize London or New York to be uh, six years ago, for example, right? When, but I've, I've given my head out to all, to, for example, Proof & Company, 28 Hong Kong Street for setting up the, for setting up the Singapore because these are the guys that kind of paved the way as well. Yeah. And we are, we are always looking for influences from, uh, we're always taking influences and inspirations from, from the, the pioneers like them. Of course, of course, in New York and in London as well. Um, 
So that being said, I feel like Singapore now is so it's 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 a very exciting city to be in right now, and that is also a reason where that prevents me from leaving the country to work in another city. Sure, you know, it's too good. Is, uh, <laughs> it is enough. Yeah, and I think a lot of the other cities in in Southeast Asia are also uh, really rising. For example, Bangkok, Taiwan, Hong Kong, even Vietnam. I feel like I was there recently. I I think. What Singapore had was the opportunity and the open market, and that allowed us to flourish. And really, the whole cocktail scene just took off in in a matter of five years. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about the cocktails, Jigger and Pony. So you said they're twists on classics, but I read that you you kind of more deconstruct the classics, right, and then twist them all that way. Right. What's the creative right. process so, you have for each drink? So the good thing about Jigger and Pony is that we have a team of very diverse bartenders. So we have a uh, um, two Italian guys who used to work in London uh, with Sixty Nine Cobook Row and the Blind Pig, and we have a Korean bartender who has his Korean roots. You know, uh, bartender from Taiwan and the rest of the Singaporean team, and of course our bar director is uh, Japanese himself. So all these different influences. Really help to shape what we have brought to the table now. Our menu is a magazine style presented in magazine style, twenty、uh, four cocktails, and this magazine style is something new that we brought to the table upon moving to Amara Hotel. Right, we were we we we, we the good thing about this magazine menu is that it is able to pack a lot of information, tell good stories about cocktails, because as we all know, cocktails have great backstories. And what is the best way? What are the best way to share with the guests or the customers、um, through the menu form, you know? And in the magazine style, because it really feels like you are re- you are reading a publication, yeah. And it has allowed us a lot of flexibility in terms of building the categories, and yeah, just inserting a lot of small spaces for detail here and there. Yeah. So in terms of the creative process. Um, we, we, like you said, we deconstruct the drink and then we reconstruct it again. But these are in my words. I feel I'm not sure whether the team agrees with me, like the way I put it. But I'm just gonna explain it the way I、sure. I look at it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like、um, when the team makes a drink, we 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 have already number one a Japanese palate. So a lot of the drinks are cleaner. Uh, in terms, in terms of, say the texture, it's lighter as well, and the proportion and the recipe, right? Of each drink is it's very dry, is leaning towards the Japanese palate. So I guess this way, having this way, it 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 allows our customers to find a balance. You know, there are always guests who have a heavier palate, and there are always guests who have a very dry palate. But we kind of sit in the middle. Um, so I think that's one very good advantage of of what we do at Jigger and Pony that we are able to cater to a wide audience. Sure.、Right? Okay. And when we create a drink, we we take about three months for the next menu. So each menu or each edition runs six months, right? So for the first three months, we are just trying it out and looking at the data and see what are the drinks that work and what doesn't work. And three months before the next launch, we will start working on the next 
addition, right? Thinking about the next theme for the menu and drinks that we want to feature. Um, so yeah, in terms of the actual drink making and the drink exploring, we really, I mean, we, we don't go into the bar and say, let's make a twisted Manhattan today and decide deconstructing the Manhattan, right? Uh, instead of that, I think we have gone past that phase and moved into a phase where we think about the end product first and then working our way backwards. Or we will also work with an certain craft, what do call that? Um, for example, one of our drinks, we are working with a chocolate maker in Singapore. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, so these are certain small projects that we, we tend to explore as well. So we find a certain direction and then we work on our way there. And how it falls into place as a classic, Twister Classic, is that it, and you look at a drink and a product, every drink has every drink is built on a formula of a classic cocktail. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one example of uh, deconstructing and reconstructing is like if we take the... Um, for example, a crystal Ramos in face, which is on our menu, which is a clarified version of the Ramos in face. So we deconstruct and think, what is what is about the original drink that may deter people from ordering, and what could be done better? So then we think about what do we want to keep and what do we not want to keep. Yep, and then we find ways to improve it, um, such that when we put the drink together back, the the crystal Ramosin face is a clarified version of the Ramosin face. And instead of using... So Ramosin face has that foam, that thick foam. So instead of doing that, we, we make a, a bubble and the bubble is, is flavored with uh, orange flower water, which is an ingredient used in, in, in the drink, the original drink itself as a few dash in the drink, right? So if wow. you look at it, the drink is... Yeah, the drink is... On the bottom half, it's uh, the clarified milk punch with the gin. And on the top half is bubbles, uh, flavored with orange flower water. So in the first sip, you would you would taste a different thing, and as the bubbles start to pop and dissolve into the drink, it's another it's another flavor. How do you make the bubble? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. Um, bubble is made with water, orange flower water, and tendon gum and versa whip. So it's a kind of emulsifying powder or agent that we then blend it up with the hand blender. Mm-hmm. And yeah, eventually we once we settle down, it will, we will just put it through a fish air air pump that we use that is used for fish tanks. Brilliant. It okay. Blows bubbles into it, and it becomes like a like a foam, basically. Okay. So, is this your favorite cocktail on the menu right now, or is there another one that's that's your favorite? It is my favorite cocktail to talk about, actually. <laughs> to talk about, okay. Well, yeah. here's the thing. What's your, what do you drink when you go out? I mean, because, you know, I've obviously been bartending for a long time as well, and I like a good cocktail. But every now and again, I just love to have a really nice beer after a shift. Usually a Belgian beer, because I love the flavors you get. What do you normally drink when you go out? It really depends on the mood. Sometimes yeah. I like this beer or a whiskey highball. Uh, sometimes when I'm in the mood for cocktails, I realize that I tend to go for really spirit-forward drinks, like a Negroni old-fashioned style, Manhattan-style drinks, or even a martini. Um, and I, I do enjoy stirred drinks more than chicken drinks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but I, 
that makes that means that I would I would be buzzed even faster. <laughs> I agree. Well, let's um, we'll change the conversation a bit, but let's talk about absinthe because I hear you're a big fan. <laughs> wow! Yeah, 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 I was a big fan. Mm. Um, so it all happened when I was working in an absinthe bar before joining Jigger and Pony. Yeah, so that bar is now closed. Um, I felt like it was such a waste because it's a beautiful bar. Mm. We just served absinthe. We had about 30 bottles. That is, uh, that wasn't, we don't have any local suppliers. So it was all self-important. You know, we paid our own um, taxes and shipping. That must have been quite expensive. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was at a bar that I really discovered the, the beauty of the whole ritual of drinking absinthe. The, the history of it. It's such a, how do I put it? Such a misunderstood character. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think you agree, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. The green fairies and all the, the propaganda back then. So I feel like all this, I have to, I don't know, maybe he has this, I have a personal, uh, I, re, I feel relatable to, to the whole story about absence, maybe, that got me a bit uh, interested in, in, in absence as well. So the turning point for me was where one night when me and me, me and my colleague were drinking the absence after work and we just get this buzz that is so different from the usual buzz when you drink uh, other spirits or other drinks, you know. There's this sense of clarity sure, I when you are floating. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it's because of the Tujon and the Wormwood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That was really enjoyable and I really enjoyed that buzz. Uh, and of course, the flavors, I could really tell the difference between bottles to bottles, you yeah. know, as compared to maybe rum or scotch, they are very minute details. Whereas for absinthe, you know, the, the, between the, the the 30 bottles that we have at the bar cart at a point of time, there was this, every bottle has their own characteristics and they have their own um, design on the bottle that goes very well with what you are, what, whatever flavors that you are experiencing. Yeah, so I, that's, that was a love affair for quite a while. I think a good six months. Yeah, and also <laughs> 30 bottles. That's a lot. Was there a big difference in, in the taste and, and how they were? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I don't know, because Epson has so many ingredients inside. And of course, you have to have the, 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 the three main ingredients. Um, out of, and every Epson has a different ABV. So something about that plays a part in the flavors. So when I drink absinthe, I just, you know, pour uh, ice water, cold water, drip it slowly to open up the flavors. And somehow or rather, they, have, they all have a different flavor and texture, especially texture. Some are thinner, some, some, are, some are thicker. You feel like you're drinking like a sugar syrup on its own. Okay. You know? Sure. Yeah, and... It makes me happy. I don't know. It's a very nice flavor. It's, it's like it reminds me of a bright, sunny, uh, walking through the, the nice forest. But you're you're selling kind of, it well. I'm gonna have to get some absinthe now. <laughs> Just uh, yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. I have a heck of a while. Yeah, but I, I do miss having absinthe. So, uh, what are your favorite spirits to play with right now? And I, I ask this because we're all stuck at home, and you have been for I guess two months now. Um, is there any cocktails or anything you're playing with at home right now? Not not really actually, yeah. I've been I've been, I've just been playing a lot of guitar at home instead. <laughs> okay, now uh, you've got time to practice. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that. 
in fact, I haven't been in a, creating new drinks for quite a while now since becoming a bar manager. Um, but the most recent spirit that I've been exploring a lot was vodka because there was a project with uh, Biavadir in their new range, which was the Lake Batojek uh, vodka, the Terra Focus, Terra Focus uh, range. Yeah, that's right. It's the two... Yeah. Um... Two, one's blue, one's dark, right? The bottles. They're quite, quite different shows right. as well. Yeah, right. For the life of me, I yeah. can't remember what they are, but yeah, I have tried those. <laughs> yeah, so um, both are focused on the same rye, but grown in different areas of uh, Poland. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think vodka has always been my um, fear or uncomfortable position. Really? Why would you say that? Yeah, I don't know. As a bartender, I feel like um, I always wanted to work with something that already has flavor. Uh, for example, I mean, all, our, all, the, all the other spirits that we have are already so packed with flavors, right? So that already, um, it's easy to play with. Whereas vodka, for me, in my in my repertoire, it's something that it's so hard to to play around or to get something or to make something with because it's it's so clean. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to I I I realized that the drinks that I make with vodka usually are like martini style. It's it's very spirit forward, um, and I try always my best to amplify the flavors of vodka, especially to consumers who are also have the same mindset that vodka is it's a party drink, it's a club drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So only until recently, when we when we got to work with Belvedere, that um, I think I got into drinking and tasting vodka. Yeah, and really making a drink out of uh, out of vodka with Belvedere. Okay, okay. We'll have to give those a go. Yeah. I'll, I'll put this in the show notes for the audience to listen <laughs> to. So, obviously, we'll talk about Jigger and Pony again. I, I'm sure you're bored of hearing yeah. about it, but, you know, you've been there from the beginning. You're the bar manager now. Um, you just hit the top spot. What do you think, what would you say are sort of the three keys to success of a bar? Right. I can say that it is a showing formula for all bars out there. But what worked for us and what I really emphasize is consistency, you know, in terms of your service from whatever time it is, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you start work at 4 p.m. and the service that you give at 4 p.m. is different from 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. Yeah, I mean, it has, to be, it has to be consistent. You know, what customers see is what customers want to see, right? So, for example, a scenario would be, oh, today we're short of stuff, and that means our service will be, will be not as, or not as, not as consistent, right? But that's in the customer point of view. That's not, that's not their problem, you know. That True. that is our problem. Yeah. So we always try to make sure that these problems, um, we don't turn it into, um, a memory for the customers. Yeah. So that's one thing about maintaining consistency. Number two for me would be finding loopholes in in terms of service, right? Okay, interesting. Yeah, so loopholes is that no matter how good any service can be, no matter how good even Rich Carlton can be, there may be there may certain there may be certain loopholes that and there will always eventually be loopholes, right? For example, at the at the bar at the Grand Pony, we make sure that. Once customers place their orders, we keep a copy of the menu at the table, right? Um, just because that once people order, when, when, once we order our drinks, we might want to 
browse through the rest of it. And since our menu is so, yeah, yeah I, and pictures. I'm going to interrupt. I'm really sorry. I completely agree because I had this before in a previous hotel I worked in and their concept, well, their whole idea was give them the menu. Once the order's taken, take the menu away. But <laughs> then you don't give the customer enough time to look at the menu and enjoy and, you know, appreciate what right. goes into it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Exactly. And by taking away the menu, you give that, you put a loophole into your service whereby if the customers will have to ask for uh, attention and, and to get a copy of the menu, what if there is nobody to attend to them? You know, because by having the customers waving their hand for five seconds, I feel like that is already um, a, not a failure, but a, a, a loophole. Mm. Yeah. We try to cut, we, we, we try to not make, we try to take away mistakes from our, our, our courts in this, in this thing. So we, we just leave the menu on the table so that that part is taken care of. If they need a menu, they can refer to the menu. Right. If any to fault is the friend for not passing over the menu. Right. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, so that's two things that I think um, are very important to us. And the last thing, I think a good leadership is, is really important as well. Okay. And yeah, because in our company where our founders are very much involved in the business, they also give us a lot of, they empower us a lot to, to, to handle situations. So get, that gives the team a lot of confidence to bring out their personality, right? And maybe what I can explain with that is that we have a certain structure of how things work and how you should do things, but we never go to any stuff and say, hey, you should do it in step one, step two, step three, step four. Right. But instead we will say, okay, this is how it should turn out. And this is what you shouldn't be doing. Right. So I'll, I give you the angle and I give you the no-nos and you find your way there. Okay. Yeah. So you find that, yeah, in a lot of situation handling, in maybe say um, service recovery or service delivery, we, a lot of the staff or the whole team does it differently, but the end result is always usually similar. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our three. We've got consistency, loopholes, and leadership. Love it. Brilliant. Right. Right. Yeah. So what are you guys up to now? Are you, are you still on lockdown? What, you know, do you have a time when you can open again? Yeah. So now it's uh, two months in. The initial plan was to allow businesses to reopen on June the 2nd. But it has been announced that we will, it will be lifted. The circuit breaker will be lifted. However, businesses will be going through reopening in three phases uh, just to prevent any you know, lingering cases around that could, that could uh, spark another community or a cluster, right? Yeah. So in phase one will be more of the essential service. For the bars and restaurants, it will be phase three. Nobody knows for sure how long it would take. It really depends on the figure of uh, cases each day and each week. Um, but I think what the figure given by the government is three to six months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've, um, I mean, Bangkok has suffered a lot because a lot of places can't afford to stay open anymore. So they've had to close permanently. Have you seen that in Singapore too? Yeah. There are certain reports that are saying that there were about, I think, 30% of businesses closing. Um, and I personally know one of, one of them being a cocktail bar 
is down the street from us. Uh, just because you know the they cannot afford the rent anymore, and the landlord is not giving any leeway with the rental, so they have no choice but they are forced out of business. But uh, on the good side, they are looking for another temporary space before moving to a more permanent space after. Sure, it's such a shame, isn't it? I, I've heard this quite a lot actually. The you know, especially some of these big bars where the rents are ridiculously high every year. And, yeah. you know, right now, no one's looking to buy them, are they? So it doesn't make sense for the for the owner to say no. But, yeah, it's a shame. Are you guys doing takeaway cocktails? Are you doing anything like that? Yeah, we are relying heavily or maybe just solely on our delivery service right now. It's something that we were not doing before because we believe that the we are delivering an experience. So we want everything to be uh, in-house and dining only. Because if you take it out, the, the quality and the consistency will will not will not be the same, all right. Uh, but yeah, now we are fully we we have to do what we have to do to to survive and to pay um, our employees, and of course we have a big pool of uh, foreign workers on uh, work passes as well. Sure. And we, I think, on since day one, our my bosses have made it very clear that we want to minimize any layoffs as much as possible, and we want to make sure that. Everyone still gets a job and have a place to return to after the whole COVID-19 um, situation, right? So at the start, we were not too confident with our delivery service that it would, it would be, you know, sustainable. But I think in the past, we've been doing it for two months now. And every Friday, it feels like a Friday at the bar, you know. Um, <laughs> Good. We have, yeah, a whole stack of dockets to, to prepare and we used to have three teams, so but we've now big, um, split and merged up to two teams so that each team has more manpower now to, to deal with the volume. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun, actually. There were a bit of, you know, um, it tends to happen because you're not unfamiliar with new situations, so there's a bit of frustrations or here and there. Uh, but once you get the hang of it, you know, things run smoother. And yeah, we're just very grateful that our customers are still supporting us at this time. One thing we realize is that in this season, people tend to gift a lot. Mm. So, yeah, there are a lot of people who want to to order and, hey, let's uh, write in a note, please surprise my girlfriend or please surprise a friend. Uh, I think that is a nice thing to see in this uh, in this trying time. Good. So we are also very happy and proud to be able to play a part in this process. Are you yeah. doing the full menu? For delivery, or is it just a few of the cocktails? Uh, just a few. So we have about a total of 20 to 21, or depending on whether there's any special special releases. Uh, but we keep it to roughly around 20 to 25 uh, drink, drink list. And it was, we take about five drinks from each menu, from each venue, yeah, to feature on the delivery menu. And every now and then we would kind of rotate and keep the menu fresh. Uh, currently, we are planning. We are in the talks of maybe say re- reducing the the menu down a bit, just so that we can cope with the volume. Because mm-hmm. the whole logistics behind the delivery uh, system operations is a bit more uh, intricate than than you will see. You know, because there's the there's the whole packaging. And there's uh, a lot of demand for handwritten messages. And then there's a lot of uh, 
liaising with the transport operators. It's a whole new business model, right? It is, it is, yeah. it is. And we're just, you know, we're just thrown into it. And I think we're dealing, dealing with it, dealing very well with it. Okay. Yeah. So I can see that the team is uh, really putting in a lot of effort to make sure that these runs smoothly. Of course, hiccups do happen. And yeah, we just learn what we can on the, along the way and, and, and uh, make amendments. Good. Will you deliver to Thailand? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, once yeah. you... Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, Give me a heads know. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, we wish you well and we're hoping that things will go back to normal soon. Um, yeah, like I said, you've hit the number one spot and that's fantastic. But what have you got any plans in work for Jigger and Pony? What, what's the future looking like? What can we expect? Hmm. It's a very uh, good question. I would say that being number one in Asia uh, in 2020 and in this time where it is so uncertain and, and such a strange situation and time to be in, right? For me, I feel like it is, it is, called, it is a sign that, or rather, let me fall back to our menu, the theme for our new menu, which our latest menu, which was the decade ahead. You know, mm. what would it be in 2020 onwards, right? We've seen how it was in the past 10 years. And now that it's 2020, our theme, even before this, this COVID-19 happened, it was already our theme, okay. right? So my, 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 next, uh, my next point to bring up is, what is the next decade of drinking will be? Yeah. Uh, could it be nature or could it be this, this whole... COVID-19 situation that is forcing us to rethink the way we are drinking and customers are drinking and people are drinking basically in general, right? Because with this COVID-19 situation, we would not have done the delivery service and bought the cocktail, right? So this could be the next big thing in, in the cocktail world where um, people are just drinking at home with bottle cocktails instead of the usual wine or just having whiskey on the rocks at home, you know, it could be a whole different ballgame now. You could have bottled Negroni at home now, mm. right? So that is something that we are, we are working on for the next, once we, once we reopen for business, how can we, re, how can we continue the delivery or the bottle cocktail uh, as a business model? Okay. And I think another, I think what my boss wants to really also do is to, Help those businesses and other bars that are that are that need some help. You know, uh, we can't help everyone, but what they want to do is maybe to share resources, like what we're doing now in Singapore. We have group chat where all the bars are involved, and every update from the government we share it. And you know, one of the good initiatives we have we have in Singapore is that uh, upgrading skill. So basically, if I would have a course or I'll, if I were to do an online course, it's subsidized by the government. Okay, so that that's is good. considered work. Mm. Yeah. So basically, for example, I'm doing a course tomorrow, online course, and that is my work for tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. What so, course is it? Uh, tomorrow we're doing effective selling and upselling, something like that. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a downtime and gov the government mm. wants us to to upgrade ourselves as well. So these are the initiatives that we are sharing with the group and um, hopefully that we can 
help the the smaller businesses or the smaller bars to 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 continue as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I think it's a it's such a good time for us to sit back, reflect, learn, upskill. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. And it's great to hear there's such a community uh, driven focus in Singapore too. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, we'll wrap up very soon. Um, thank you once again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, big congratulations to you and the team. And uh, have you thank got any you. plans for the rest of the week? Are you going to be back in the, in the stick doing the cocktail deliveries? Yeah, I'll be back in the stick doing the cocktail deliveries uh, this weekend for three days. Is it three days? Yeah, for three days. For the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And I have no plans for next week yet. Let's see how it goes uh, on Sunday. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much, yeah. man. Pleasure. And I can't wait thank to you. see you over in Singapore soon. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Lovely. That was it, boys and girls. I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned something from Gerald. If you do like the show, please give us a like. Go over to Instagram, Facebook, follow us there. And head over to gastronomalifestyle.com where you'll see one of the cocktail recipes we got from Gerald. Next week's episode, we have Salvatore Calbrese, the maestro himself, and it was really exciting to talk to him. You can already check out the Facebook video. Uh, we've got that live where we, we talk to him over Zoom, but the podcast episode will be next. So yeah, have a good one, guys, and talk to you all soon. <laughs>